What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Championship Leadership Podcast and uh, excited to have Sean Murray with us here uh, from Seattle, Washington. And uh, thanks for being here, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nate, for having me on the show. Real excited. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you're a listener for any amount of time, you know, this first question uh, I like to kick off our conversation with is the name of the podcast, Championship Leadership. So what comes to mind for you? What does championship leadership mean to you when you hear that? Championship to me means winning and defining winning is kind of always interesting for leadership. Yeah. For me, it's evolved over time and it used to have this external view of winning that winning was me compared to others or winning was, uh, I was winning in the eyes of other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the years, it's evolved into a very inward looking assessment and an intrinsic view of winning, which is I'm winning if I'm living up to what I expect of myself every day. I'm doing the things that I want to do in life that provide deep meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment. And if I'm doing that, I'm winning. So that's, that's championship leadership for me. Yeah. I love that. That's uh, really got to start with yourself, right? That's, I have a, I have a leadership program called Unleash the Leader Within and just you know, it does. It starts with us before we can go lead anyone else. We got to, we got to lead ourselves. And I love uh, the definition that you have and the, that's evolved. I think that's probably something that, that happens for a lot of us over time. We, our definition of winning and success and everything around that constantly is changing and evolving. Yeah. Well, I mean, the word championship, it brings to mind things like the Super Bowl, you yeah. know, um, winning a major league baseball championship or just going back into my history you know, I, I really wanted to win a state championship in basketball in high school. I never, we never did as a team. Yeah, me too. But, uh, you know, I can go into all the reasons why I think we didn't, <laughs> but um, the main, the, the, the idea of a championship is that it's, you know, you're kind of on top. You've won out over some kind of competition and that's normally in a kind of a zero sum competition. A win loser can only be one state champion. There can only be one Super Bowl champion every year. And that's one way to look at championship. But when you put those words together, 
championship leadership. So when you put championship and leadership together, it, br- it brings to mind that it doesn't have to be win lose for everyone. Right. There's no reason why yeah. we all can't have our own championship leadership. And it just gets down to defining what that means for us. Yeah. You know, what, what does it mean to be a leader uh, in our, to be the best husband we can be, to be the best community member, uh, to be the, the best father, whatever it is, the, the best friend, all of that, all of those, those areas of our lives are opportunities to be a champion. And um, that's just a, a lesson. You know, the sooner you kind of come to that realization, I think, and I, I see younger people coming up that sort of got there a lot faster than I did. And I just really encourage them that that's, that's a path to, towards, um, you know, happiness and flourishing and living a good life if you can figure that out. Yeah, right. Totally. What, uh, who are some of the championship leaders that have impacted you? You know, whether that's a coach, a mentor, or somebody in your life that's directly or indirectly impacted you and more so like, what, what is it about them? What's really stands out some of the characteristics uh, of their championship leadership that maybe even you've taken to help mold who you are as a leader. Yeah, there's, there's so many different influences. And when I think about my life, I, I, Divided up into those that uh, real living people who had an impact on my life, like my father, like my first boss who started a a company, a startup, and I joined and and he helped teach me about business, my coach in high school basketball, all these things, that's one category, but there's also, you can have a mentor that you can find from just reading. And it yeah. could be someone from the past, right? I don't know if you've, if that's something that Nate, you've had before, but, you know, so I also open up the possibility that I can learn from just other people that lived in the past that they're no longer with us, but they left some kind of legacy. And um, so I'll just go through a few that have had a big impact on me. Um, one is Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it might sound yeah. it's like kind of cliche-ish, but I eventually read a biography, several biographies of Lincoln, didn't have that much interest in him growing up. But when I read about Lincoln, he, what I realized was this is someone that you can learn from. And you look at lessons in his life, his, his honesty, his desire to live up to virtue, to do the right thing, um, to serve his community, to be a good, a good father, a good community member, all those things. Um, So I've, I've, there's a lot of lessons I've pulled from Lincoln. There's also from the sports world, John Wooden and yeah. his uh, pyramid of success. Yep. And if you, you know, the thing that I take away from Wooden, as far as teaching me being a championship leader is um, that your, your definition of success and, and, and Wooden's definition of success, and I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit. is just that you are doing your best every day that you're living up yep. to the best that you can do on the court. And you look at what he did. He was the coach at UCLA for basketball and won 10 national championships. And um, I guess he's kind of a good example because he really is a championship leader, uh, but he's also about intrinsic championship. It's about yeah, each every person sense living of the up meaning, himself. I think he, he yeah. qualifies there. And like you said, yeah, I was 10 in like 11 years too. It wasn't. Uh, it was, yeah. It was quite a run, wasn't it? Yeah. Dominated. And uh and like you said, yeah, he wasn't really concerned about the outcome. You know, that's what he talks about in his book. It was about just getting the best out of everyone. Um, 
all of his players, you know, every single day. And he knew if he could do that, that the wins would come. Right. Exactly. That's, yeah. that, that's a great way to distill his, his leadership. And, and he, he thought that championships were won during practice. Yeah. You know, if you, if you go back and, watch him on the sideline you don't see him running up and down with his arms gesticulating right. and yelling at his players like sometimes when you watch march madness today and you see a coach out there and just you know pulling guys in and out of the court and yelling and screaming at the refs and wooden was just the epitome of calmness you know yes. and just had this yeah. incredible temperament that was just you know hey he already put the work in at practice and he let his players play. And, yeah. and if you talk to them today, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and some of these great UCLA former players and Bill Walton, they just have the utmost respect for Coach Wooden. And, yeah, um, you know, they're living his legacy. Really. Yeah, you know, surprisingly, we've talked about a lot of different coaches on this podcast with all the different guests that we've had. And, and uh, really, that's one that... It, I am surprised. I'm surprised I haven't brought him up too, because I'm a big fan of Wooden's and I love his books. And, and, uh, you know, I was a little too young to be able to really watch, but I did as a young youngster read a lot about sports figures and coaches. And, and he was definitely one of them that I, that I did. And, and, uh, so yeah, I'm surprised that we haven't had more conversations about him here, but I'm glad you brought him up. I think you have had someone on the show talk about servant leadership though, as I oh, recall. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely, something that I espouse to that, that I believe in to me, a championship leader is also a servant. And, you know, that's something I'm constantly trying to build into my, my daily leadership is thinking about how I can serve those around me that I'm trying to lead. And Mm -hmm. so it's definitely something that I, that I believe in. I think it's the Robert Greenleaf book on servant leadership. And then the Herman Hesse book of Steppenwolf that really introduced me to those concepts. Yeah. What's, um, you know, we didn't really hit too much on you yet. So I want to come back to that real quick before we get too much further into this and, and just uh, let the listeners know a little bit more about you and your, your background and path that, that has led to you to where you are. You're, you're in the leadership space as well. Podcaster, business owner. Uh, yeah. Just give the listeners a little bit of an idea of who you are and kind of what you're up to today. Yeah. So, I mean, we were connected be- because of a podcast that I'm, that I host called the good life. And it's a, it's a podcast that explores what it means to live a rich, fulfilling, meaningful, purposeful life. And I think it's the biggest question we face in life is how to use this time, this incredible gift that we've been given to walk this earth and how do we get the most out of it? And I don't think uh, I spent enough time ruminating on it, you know, in my earlier years. I think it's something that gets glossed over in many ways by our culture. We not necessarily encouraged to um, reflect on that and think about it as much as we are to pursue things like materialism and and making more money and and building up our career and and things like that that seem to be kind of front and center. So the idea behind the good life is kind of a counterbalance to that. It's a it's a forum where I invite guests to just teach, you know, tell us about their experience and what we can learn from, from them and their wisdom. And often they're writers and authors who've written about subjects, things like, you know, character, uh, finding purpose and meaning in life, being a good leader, um, learning through literature, all those kinds of things. So that's, that's one of the main things I'm doing today. And 
definitely in the leadership space. I also teach in corporate America. I teach leadership skills and management and training. But the way I got into this, uh, you know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Eugene, Oregon, a small college town. My father had a PhD in organizational psychology from the University of Oregon. And um, so I, I grew up in a very academic household. And my father very early on started consulting around organization development in the 70s, which was pretty early on in this field, you know, with people like uh, Peter Sange, if you're familiar with him or mm-hmm. other, um, trying to think of some other um, examples that your listeners might be. Um, Ken Blanchard is another one that kind yeah. of in the 70s, uh, situational leadership. But anyway, I kind of grew up in a household that was thinking about uh, leadership, teaching leadership. I learned from my father. And when I started off in my career, I started a technology company that supported leadership development, I actually did leadership assessments, a 360 feedback and a self-assessment. And I was very interested in the technology space. I'd been involved in a few startups and got involved with technology right when the internet was coming out in the early 90s. And uh, I grew, started a company called Real-Time Performance, which gave real-time feedback to leaders about how they're leading an organization. We'd collect feedback from direct reports, from a manager, from peers, and just get feedback along the way. How are you living up to the values of the organization? How are you leading? And I grew that company and eventually sold it and gave me an opportunity to just focus more on my writing, uh, doing the podcast, and also doing in-person leadership uh, seminars, which I find very meaningful and impactful. Unfortunately, we haven't done much of that in the last four or five months. But yeah, right. that, uh, yeah, I sold the the technology uh, product of real-time performance about six years ago. And so that was a big change for me. And that kind of brought me into, as I mentioned, it kind of writing and doing podcasting and doing what I do today, which which I find very, very exciting and meaningful. So it's been a great journey. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, so what is the, what's, what's the vision for you? Uh, championship leaders have incredible vision and also, you know, the courage to be able to take action on that, which I think is probably, you know, I don't, it's great. You have to have the vision, but you also, it's extremely, many do have vision and, and don't have the courage to take action. So uh, what's the vision for you and the impact you want to make uh, even near term here, maybe even in the next five years? I know, especially nowadays, it feels like life moves quickly and fast and our vision can change in, a, in the blink of an eye. But, uh, but it's always good to have that, that vision of where you want to go. So if you could share with us, like, yeah, w- w- where is it you're trying to go and what's the impact you're looking to make? You know, at this point in my career, what I'm trying to do is, is impact other lives. I mean, this kind of gets to the servant leadership part of leadership. And when you turn the corner, it becomes more about others than yourself, I think. And it took me a while to make that turn because like many of us, I, I was very self-centered around my own goals and what I wanted to achieve to the detriment maybe of other, others and those around me. And so, you know, I, I turned that corner and my vision is now more about how can I help others? How can I spread the word and impact as many lives as possible? That got me into podcasting. I was writing and through my self-education, what I found is I started to write and blog and that, that was really kind of led to a virtuous cycle of learning. 
but what I found was just, it's hard. Not that many people want to read a blog as they do want to listen to a podcast. I mean, we're probably yeah. reaching people right now in your audience that maybe if we, you and I had written down our thoughts and, you know, exchanged this interview in text, it just wouldn't have the same reach. Yeah. And so getting out to reach more people has been really important for me. I don't know where that's going to lead exactly. Um, I wish I had a more clear vision of, of, you know, what that's going to look like five years down the road, but you know, I'm okay with that. I mean, one of the things that you, you just kind of brought this up when you asked the question is about execution is really important too. Like you can have the vision, but without the execution, you're, you're not going to get there. And what I've learned about the execution part, at least in how I work is that if I focus on that, where I end up may change and evolve in certain ways, but if I can just get a little bit better every day, make sure the podcast gets out every week, make sure I'm doing my writing, all those things that consistently over time, it builds up. Uh, we, we call that compounding, you know, in, mm -hmm. in the finance world, I'm, I'm distributed, the, my podcast is distributed through the Investors Podcast Network. And there's a concept of compounding in investment where you earn interest and growth on your principal and that over time gets added to the principal and it grows and grows. And it's, it's something that our human brains don't comprehend as well because we think more linearly than we do exponentially, which is what can happen with compounding is that the growth over time can lead to significant gains, but it takes a long time. You just have to be consistent. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, hopefully if I'm consistently working towards that vision, it's going to emerge and I'll attain it in some way. It'll probably be a little bit different than I uh, think it will be because that's how things tend to work out. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the journey and just enjoying the day to day. Um, yeah, so true. You know, I mean, I was just, I just made a post today, speaking of uh, kind of blogging, right. And reflecting on the really 2020 and, and a lot of the things that I've accomplished just inside of the business world and my profession. And uh, which I think it's important to take some time to, to look back from time to time to help you to realize that you are actually making a, a difference, that you are making some movement because uh, if you're too caught up in the action, Sometimes if, even though you are, it doesn't feel like it. And then that's, you know, can lead to overwhelm or just, uh, just to feeling unfulfilled and, and throwing, throwing in the towel. So, so today I was just kind of doing that and doing some reflecting on that as well as, you know, just focusing on staying in action and executing, like you said. And, and I think you're right. I mean, it's just the results start to come and, and come into place over time when you focus less on the result and more on just, you know, what's required to make those things happen. So yeah, I can't agree more with that for sure. Yeah. There's this concept of process goals and outcome goals. I think it's important to have both, mm -hmm. you know, an outcome goal might, might be just thinking of my podcast for a second, or think if you think about your podcast, Nate, yeah. it might be to reach, you know, an audience of 10,000 per episode or 50,000 or a hundred thousand, whatever it is that you're, you've kind of put out there as your goal, that, that's, that's an outcome goal. That's an outcome down the road. But you can also set a process goal, which is what you're going to do every day. You know, and that I find is more important than the outcome goal. We often go straight to the outcome goal uh, because that's how I was sort of taught to, to set a goal. Hey, think big, right. you know, go out there, put a number out there. And then we, 
where, where we sometimes lack is just the, I guess you put it well, the courage, right? The courage mm-hmm. or the conviction or the discipline, the work ethic to do what it takes every day. It's the same thing with running a marathon. You know, you gotta, you might want to run the 26.2 miles, but what you really need to do is put in your daily workout each day for the six months before so that you're going to get there. And, and that's, that's uh, I find a really important piece. Yeah. Yeah, totally. What's a little, well, let's, let's switch the gears here just a little bit. And, you know, what's a, a critical moment for you or a turning point, kind of that fork in the road where had you made a different decision that you did, you, uh, you'd be in a, you'd be in a very different place in life right now. Right. I, again, I think that kind of comes to that, that courage to make that decision, that, that uh, intuition or that, that feeling you have in your gut of which way you want to go. But oftentimes we get pulled to, maybe the little, the safer route or what other people think would be a safer route for you. I think it's important for listeners to hear the stories of others that have been in those, in those moments and, and how they've chose to get them where they are today, where you are today. Uh, Hmm. So is there a moment that comes to mind as I ask that question? Yeah, there's, there's probably a a lot of moments I could go back to, but let me just zero in on one that, that comes to mind. I think it's pretty impactful and, you know, I was kind of giving you the short story of my, my background. I, I, after a stint in technology in the 90s, I went back and got my MBA from the University of Oregon. Uh, my feeling was I would, had been working in startups before that time. And if you've ever worked in a startup, you're often underfunded. It's <laughs> paycheck to paycheck. It's high risk. You never know what's going to happen. You could be a millionaire overnight or you could be starving the next week. And it, it, it was, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a good thing to go through in your 20s if you can stomach it. But anyway, right. I wanted to go back and get my MBA because I thought I wanted a more stable job. I wanted to work for a big corporation, one that was, I knew my paycheck was going to be there. And maybe, maybe to get some recognition from my peers or whatnot. And I got the degree and I did an internship at GE, which at the time was, it's kind of hard to believe now how far they've fallen from grace, but it was really the premier or one of the premier companies to work for in the United States. Jack Welch was still the CEO there. Uh, the stock was riding high. The most uh, important and most profitable division within GE was called GE Capital. And that was the, the division that I was in for my internship. And it was a special kind of internship where you, uh, you get rotated through on a management track. And it was everything I, I thought I wanted in a job offer and in a potential career. It was a big company, not just a big company, but I think the biggest. And one of maybe yeah. Exxon was bigger by market cap, but I mean, it was like top five, right? Yep. And uh, I got to the end of my second year and I'd done the internship. I graduated. I had the offer in hand and I just couldn't accept it. And I had to do a lot of inward reflection. Like why? I mean, part of it was they wanted me to work on the East coast. I'm from the West coast. Yeah. I did my internship in, in the East coast and I kind of got a, a taste of that. And maybe being away from my family was a part of that. Um, I don't regret staying closer to my family. I'll tell you that when you look yeah. back over the last, this was, uh, this was the year 2000. So I'll give you a sense of 20 years ago. Okay. And, um, but mainly it was about how I wanted to live my life. And 
I had another offer to, or idea to start my own company. And um, I ended up doing the entrepreneurial route, which is a little bit amazing because I took two years off. I was not feeling very well financially at that point in my life. I was uh, engaged to be married. I was wanting to start a family. So a lot of things were saying, hey, get the good job, you know, get the high paying job, get the stable job, buy the house in the suburbs and whatnot. Uh, But I decided that I wanted to do live the life that I wanted to live. One of the things, and, and I wanted to start this company, I just had this passion to do, to start real time performance. And I ended up giving up on, uh, you know, letting that, letting that opportunity go. And there's so many ups and downs, as you know, Nate, in starting a, a company. And of course, shortly after this decision, I was married. Shortly after that, I have, we, we were fortunate enough to have two children. And you get into all the, the life and everything that it brings and, and trying to start a company as you're going through all that is also extremely challenging and maybe even extra stressful. And there were days in there when I looked back at my other fork in the road, you know, cause I I'd go back to that GE offer and I'd, this was maybe say five years after the decision, you know, I've got two kids under the age of three and trying to make my mortgage payment. And I think, boy, if I would have just taken that job, I where would I be right now? And there were times when that GE job looked really good. Like I had sort of passed up on something that maybe that was the the route I should have gone. Uh, But those are few and far between. Far more often, I look at the path I took and I think, man, I'm so glad I took the path, even with all the ups and downs, even though my bank account may not be as big and fat as if I'd gone into GE. At the same time, GE had a huge fall from grace. I mean, you just don't know how things are going to happen. Yeah, they I'm, totally did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. remember that they sold me on all the stock options and how much GE was going to be worth 10, 20 years from now. Well, it's worth less now than it was 20 years ago, yeah. which if you told someone that they would just, they wouldn't believe you. If you go, if you traveled yeah, right. back in time to 2000 <laughs> yeah. and said, Hey, in 20 years, GE is going to be worth less than it is today. I mean, cause it's just on this growth path, right? Yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. Um, but that was a real turning point. I mean, you everyone faces those. Uh, you know, one thing that did yeah. impact me was Jeff Bezos at the time. He talked about how he started Amazon. And I don't know if you've read this about Jeff, but he said he used the regret minimization framework, <laughs> which he's, he said when he's 85 years old, if he's lucky enough to, to live to, you know, 80 or whatever age, um, you know, when he's got a long life to look back on, he wants to be able to minimize his regrets. And he felt like if he didn't start Amazon, he, you know, he had a very high paying job when he started Amazon. He was working for a hedge fund on Wall Street and he was very, very well compensated. The hedge fund did not want to see him go. And he decided he was going to take the plunge and start Amazon. And he, he thought he, he would eventually regret it, no matter how much money he made in the hedge fund he'd eventually regret not jumping on this opportunity. And I felt the same way. Now, I didn't end up with billions in my bank account like Bezos <laughs> did, but I did. Not yet. Um, yeah, but I did get the opportunity to live life the way I wanted to live it on my terms. And the more I learn about living a good life from the people that are, are on my podcast, the more I value that experience. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, you know, that was something I was looking at too. Like if 2020's taught us anything, it's that 
all those guarantees you thought you had, just like many with GE, um, can disappear in an instant. So yeah, so it's, it's, you know, if you got something you want to go do, I guess I hadn't, I don't know that I'd really heard that term of uh, regret minimization, but, uh, but that's definitely how I have found myself living as well. It's just realizing, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want, I want as little regrets as possible when I get to be, like you said, like Jeff was talking about it uh, later in life. Um, so, so yeah, that helps to drive me to do the things that I really want to, even no matter how scary they are, you know, a little, like, uh, I bought a rental property in Dayton, Ohio, actually, because of the fall of GE uh, impacted Dayton hugely. I don't know exactly how long ago it was, nine, 10 years ago, maybe it was less than that. Um, but the market just totally crashed when they shut everything down and people all of a sudden were, were out of these incredibly high paying, uh, safe, secure jobs that they had. Um, so there was some opportunity on the real estate side. So yeah, I've, uh, I personal experience, uh, benefiting i guess in a way from that unfortunately that that you know they had to go through but but yeah no guarantees i love it so um, yeah go ahead something i was just gonna say it's something that if, if you take that lens and you point it to today and look out at america's most successful companies so amazon uh google net netflix some of these companies facebook whatnot they it just seems unfathomable that they might not be as successful 20 years from now. It does. But it's yeah. very, very possible that and, and it almost surely a few of them will be, you know, and you just don't yep. know which. And, right. and, and so that's something that I've, I've learned through life is to just, you know, go with the ups and downs and realize that things are going to go up, things are going to go down. You don't know beforehand how it's exactly going to work out. That's part of the challenge of life. And uh, you can't beat yourself up over, you know, if I would have left, um, let's say I would have left Amazon into, maybe I, in an alternative universe, I, I had an offer to, uh, I didn't, but if I had an offer to, to join Amazon 2000 with a ton of stock options or whatnot, maybe I would have the desire or the, you know, I might want to beat myself up about that because it had the, you know, instead of going downhill, like GE, Amazon went uphill. Right. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, and you can beat yourself up, but it's like, yeah, either way, it, it doesn't really, you don't really know. I didn't know in 2000 that GE was going to go downhill and Amazon was going to go uphill, but I did know the path I wanted to take. And so that's what you kind of have to hold on to. Otherwise you're yeah, just, absolutely. you're going to be blowing in the wind of fates and, and um, yeah. angry and regretful and all this. And it's just not helpful. Yeah. Well, like you say, I think it's just, uh, yeah, once you make that decision, just, uh, just own that and, and, and don't even pay attention to the opportunity that you left behind. It, it no longer matters, right? Like own the decisions and the path that you take and, and just uh, pour into that, I think is another way of saying like, don't worry about your competition, worry about yourself and uh, everything else will work out yourself and, and those that you are serving, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Nate, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And I had a couple of guests on this year that, that were Stoics. I don't know if you've, if yeah. you've uh, read the Stoics or followed them, maybe you talked about them on your show, but uh, they both, these guests had written books about Stoicism. One was William Irvine, who wrote a book called The Guide to the Good Life and about okay. Stoic Joy. And another author named Donald Robertson, who wrote How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, which is about Marcus Aurelius. But what mm -hmm. I took away from, from both of them was exactly what you were saying there and the way they put it is to control what you can control, which is a very yeah. stoic 
yeah. principle, you know, to think about the things in your life that you can control. And if you, you know, when I left GE, I couldn't control GE. Um, right. I, I don't really, you know, my, my fate or my career in, on the GE path of my life was no longer under my control. And there's a certain amount of joy and a certain amount of kind of emotional contentment that comes from the realization to know that if you're just working within what you can control and you're doing the best you can within that, that you can find joy in that and that you can find that rewarding and build your life on each step in that sphere. Cause within that sphere, you can find happiness and contentment. And so I think that's a great way to put it. And it's something yeah. that I've, you know, try to practice when I can every day. What's uh, so we're bouncing up on, on our time here. So I want to uh, start to wrap it up. If there were one or two things that you could leave with the listeners today that, you know, if they were to implement today would help them move their life forward today, what would those be? Well, you, you hit on one when you said that you wrote a blog post recently, just thinking about how 2020 has unfolded and what, what you've learned from this experience and this collective experience of our society going through this COVID pandemic. And you wrote, you wrote down your thoughts. And, and that's something that I've really underestimated for much of my career, much of my life, the power of writing down your thoughts. And it forces you to reflect. So that's one thing that I would strongly encourage people to do. Even if you don't have a blog yeah. and you don't publish it, just, and I, I, I hate to say, you know, start a journal because it sounds very cliche and I'm, I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say, write when you've got an idea, when you've got, when you've got some time to reflect, put your thoughts down on paper. It forces you. What I found is I really don't know what I'm going to, what I think until I put it down. And then when I put it down on paper, it starts to coalesce and it makes sense. Often what's in my mind is very illogical. It doesn't cohere. And it, it's the act of putting it down on paper and then structuring it into sentences and so forth that allows me to fully form my thoughts. And I remember them and I remember the ideas. And so um, that's something that I strongly encourage people to do. It has had a big impact on my life is, and I'm not a huge writer. I don't write every day. Uh, I, I probably should, but you know, you don't have to, you don't have to write pages and pages, just put, just, periodically put some, put your thoughts down. So that's one. The second, the second thing I would suggest is, is reading. And this is really connected to self-education too. And it's, it's another lesson I've learned in life, which is I, I thought I got educated because I got my bachelor's degree when I went back and got my MBA. And then later I realized that that really wasn't an education. I think I learned how to learn in college and in graduate school. And it wasn't until I deeply pursued what I, what I had a passion for learning and applied those skills to the things I, I really wanted to learn that I experienced true learning. And so I've come to believe that education, true education is really self-education. And when you pick up a book and read what you want to read and underline the passages that are meaningful for you. Maybe reflect a little bit, a bit about it. Maybe write a paragraph or two or a page at the end of reading that book so that you can remember it. And now you're combining a couple things. You know, it's the self-reflection, the writing and the reading. I'd say those two things. And if I had to leave one, one more bit of advice, it's 
what I call friends and family. Uh, one thing I've pulled away from, I pulled out of being the host of The Good Life is how often people come back to friends and family when they talk about a meaningful life, when they talk about regret, regret minimization, yeah. uh, when they talk about fulfillment. And uh, if you have a chance to invest, invest in friends and family. I mean, your time, your energy, your, your, your goals, your you know, investing in your community, your friends and family really has always paid off for me. It seems to have paid off for the guests that I have on the show. And, and um, those are just three things that, that come to mind, Nate, as far as uh, helping people be champions, champion leaders. I appreciate it. Thank you. And um, before we do close out, like what are some of the ways that the listeners can find out more about you and uh, your podcast and, and, and your business and what you're up to? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean, S-E-A-N-P Murray. And, it, and then the number is 111. So it's 111. So Sean P. Murray, 111. And it's a great way to just keep track. I, I try to tweet out when I write an article, uh, when there's a new episode, you can also go to theinvestorspodcast.com and click on the good life. There's about three podcasts there. The other two are, the other three are, sorry, there's four podcasts. The other three are about investing. My show is also about investing, Nate, uh, but it's yeah. about investing in yourself, right? right? It's about investing your time. And it's something that the producers at the Investors Podcast have been very gracious to support that topic be, and put it onto a financial network because um, they believe in the importance of that. And they've been, they've been very supportive. So I'd say uh, go to theinvestorspodcast.com and my business is realtimeperformance.com. So those are three places to find me. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sean, for being here. It's been a great pleasure to have you and, and to connect. So thank you. Nate, it's been a wonderful. Thanks for having me on the show. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, Nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera. I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years of marriage. It's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm called to be a leader I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer We can do anything we want If I said it, then I meant it I probably already did it Consider it done If you need some inspiration, you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast Hey, Bailey Championship Leadership Podcast. Championship Leadership Podcast.